today in continuing, because we're going to take communion, I uh, am just, in, I am saturated in the, in the Bible. I love the Bible. I love the Old Testament. I am a millennial who loves the Old Testament. Come on, they exist. Let me give you some hope. They exist. I'm one of them. I have friends. And I love it because it's a tutor. It's a type and shadow. It reveals Jesus to me. You know, it brings us into an awareness of who Christ really is. And it says that there's types and shadows. Everything written before is for our instruction. It's types and shadows, but the substance belongs to Christ. So for us to say silly things like we don't need the Old Testament anymore, that's just foolish. That is foolishness. Now, some things ended at the cross, like animal sacrifices. Anyone happy about that? Yeah. <laughs> that was their worship service, y'all. <laughs> Sprinkle you with blood. Thank you for coming to church. That was their worship gathering. <clears throat> I'm right about this, all right? <laughs> Look it up. So some things ended at the cross. Hallelujah. Some things passed through the cross, like all the promises of God. Hello? And some things began at the cross. Like a new covenant in his blood, in his body. The new, fresh way to access God. And we're going to talk about that today because Christ is our veil. Christ is our veil. And the veil that was torn is a prophetic and potent picture of Christ's body being torn for us. So I want to discover that with you today. Uh, I have Hebrews 10.20 for you in the Passion Translation. This is kind of the core verse. It says, I'm sorry, I didn't put the black background on that. That's my fault, not theirs. I got to give the AV credit. You know, I got to give, give my crew credit. That's my bad right there. It says, he has dedicated a new life-giving way. Let's say this together. A new life-giving way. Come on. If it's not life-giving, it's not new covenant. If it drains you, no, girl, don't shut it down. I saw you flinch. Say it. That's right. Say it loud. It's a free house. You can be whatever. You do it. I'll stop you if you're being too free. It ain't going to happen. So a new life-giving way for us to approach God. So if your approach to God is not life-giving, it's not in Christ. If it's not that, it's not new covenant. New covenant reality is all from the inside out. New covenant teaching can be tested by this one thing. It, does it start on the inside and come out, or is it on the outside trying to get in? Old covenant is outside, external, uh, encounters with God. In, new covenant is internal, habitation of God, becoming the holy of holies on two legs. Any teaching that says it's on the outside trying to get in is old covenant. That's an old covenant paradigm. So while we need the New Testament, we also need to see it through the lens of the new covenant. You following me? Come on, if you're new to church and I'm using a bunch of words that you don't understand, I'm sorry. I, I've been doing this thing for a while. I got saved when I was eight. Went from the womb to the pew, all right? So I just got, I got church language. I do. I'm sorry. Holy Ghost will sort it out in your brains, all right? I'm not trying to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I'm trying to get you hungry for something, all right? So for just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. That's a radical statement. Just as the veil was torn in two, 
just as the veil was torn into, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access. So I'm going to give you the story. When Jesus was on the cross and he shouted, Kala, which is the Aramaic word for finished, consumado in Spanish. Anyone have a King James Spanish Bible? Look it up in John. It says consumados or consumados. It's consummated. It's kala. It's I've won my bride. The word finished he used was not Greek, teletastai, or teletastai, I don't know how to say it. That He did not speak Greek, he spoke Aramaic, Galilean Aramaic. And let me just give you this little nugget from the shelf of Caleb's fun things that he likes. <coughs> he, <laughs> I just found a shelf and named it just now. <laughs> Biblical Hebrew isn't spoken anymore. Biblical Greek isn't spoken anymore. You know what is spoken? Galilean Aramaic. It's in Syria. You go to the streets of Syria, they will speak Galilean Aramaic. And Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. Multiple meanings with that statement there. I think it's important to to look at the original language, the language that God came to the earth and actually spoke. I know it's in Greek in your Bible. I get that. But we have Aramaic texts as well. Not complete, but it's there. Okay? Take some scholarly digging. But it's there. And Jesus did not say the Greek word finished. He said the Aramaic word for consummated, completed, I've won my bride. And the blood covenant began. We have children and we're streaming and I'm not going to get graphic. But there's a reason for this language. And there's a reason for marriage being the perfect expression of Christ in the church. Because when you come into union with another person... There's a blood covenant when it's the first time and all that. That's a blood covenant. I'm, try- I'm being gentle. We can't talk about sex in church. Somehow it's so perverted we don't get the pure version anymore. It's- sex is not evil. It's not perverted. Your perspective might be perverted, but there's a pure version to every perversion. And so Jesus began the blood covenant, the covering of the blood, all right? With this, and when he said it is finished, the veil of the temple that kept the Holy of Holies separate from the holy place. There's, there's the Holy of Holies, the inner court, the outer court, and then the court of the Gentiles, okay? There's all these, there's these different sections of the tabernacle. And you could not go into the Holy of Holies to experience the presence of God. The presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant. Are you following me? Who is here for my carrier's message? This is really going to hit home. Yeah, okay. On uh, Christmas, the 23rd of December. And the ark that carried the presence was behind the veil. So the presence of God was separated from the people of God. Only the high priest could go in to the presence of God once a year and after a whole bunch of rituals. Again, outside in. And when Jesus said it is finished, when he shouted kalah, when he said bride, when he shouted your name, and then you were born from his side, blood and water hit the ground, the veil was torn. He shouted your name, gave birth to you, and ripped that veil off your face all in one shot like that. I don't have time to stop and dwell on these mysteries. I have a lot of notes I got to get into. In the ESV, this same verse, 10, 19 through 20 says, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So I want to talk about the veil today because Christ is our veil torn open for us. And a little note that you might have to get extra biblical to find. A lot of expositors believe that the veil was torn from the top to the bottom. We all know that. That's what it says in the Bible. But they believe that a little piece was stopped at the bottom. That there was still connection at the bottom. 
that it was ripped not in two, like two different pieces. It was ripped open, and a little piece remained at the bottom to prove no one ripped it from the bottom up. Many expositors, many scholars believe that. And so that's just an amazing kind of dweeby Caleb shelfism. I don't know. I love that. It proves it. God does things so intentionally, right? So I have 20 minutes. I'm going to go really fast. I have a picture of the veil for you. This isn't necessarily the most accurate or whatever. I just Googled one yesterday when I was driving home, uh, riding in the car home from Orlando. And so here is the veil. On the other side, you know, this is the veil that would separate the Holy of Holies. There's the candlestick and the table. And uh, I'm not going to go into all those pictures. But I want you to look at this picture while I read Exodus 26, 31 through 34, because these are the instructions for the veil originally, because there was a tabernacle in the wilderness, and this is the temple veil. Same construction, okay? And hopefully you'll go with me today into the mystery of you are looking at a picture of Jesus before he was crucified right now. This is a picture of Christ before he's crucified. And the ripping of the veil is the moment of crucifixion. I'm going to prove it to you. Exodus 26, verse 31 through 34, if you're taking notes. This is God's instructions. It says, you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns. Yarns, not yawns. That would be boring. Yarns. This is not a boring veil. I don't know if you can tell. It's pretty amazing. And fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. That's one of the problems I have with this. At the very top of the, the veil, there should be two cherubim. There should be the two cherubim that were, the same ones on the ark should be sewed into the top of the veil, okay? Um, So the two angels at the top of the veil. You should have two angels at the very top up there. Um, Where did I lose it? You shall, oh, the cherubim skillfully worked into it. You shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold. That's the four pillars. With hooks of gold on four bases of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Now, Matthew 27, 51 is where it says the veil was torn from top to bottom. So this thing went top to bottom. The moment Jesus cried out, it is finished. The moment he cried out, kala finished consumado es. For our Spanish-speaking friends. And the two cherubim that were woven in the top are the exact same two. It's the same word for cherubim that's used in Genesis 3.24. Does anyone know what happened in Genesis 3? The fall where Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and two cherubim were set in at the doorway of the garden, not letting them in. By the way, it's the garden in Eden, not the garden of Eden. There's a garden in Eden. Eden's a lot bigger than the garden. Okay, I can't. Caleb. Just, just read your notes. Okay. There were two woven at the top. I'm sorry, it's not on the picture. And in Genesis 3.24, it says, He drove out the man, and at, at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, so man fell, all that stuff. They were kicked out of the garden. It was guarding the tree of life. So what is this veil guarding? The tree of life. Mm-hmm. The spiritual entities guarding the way into paradise were separated at Jesus' crucifixion. This is just Caleb's opinion. Say Caleb's opinion. This would be something that you would call a revelation that is not supported by Scripture, and therefore I'm couching it in my opinion. This is Caleb's opinion. That sword that God gave the cherubim, that's, I believe that's the sword Holy Ghost picked up to rip it from the top to the bottom. 
I believe God took that very same sword and went, and cut that thing in half. That's just my opinion. That's how I see it. When I get up to heaven and watch the movie with you, we'll find out. Right? Ha, ha. That same sword, and that's important, guys. There was a sword, of, a flaming sword separating people from the garden, from the tree of life. And then one day, the climax of history here, that veil was ripped in half. Those cherubim were separated, and the way was opened. Aren't you glad that the way is not shut? The dead have not made it, and the dead do not keep it. Any Lord of the Rings fans? Sorry. I just lost like 25 50% of you. Anyway, I'm a little bit of a movie buff. So this way is not shut. It is opened. It is open for us. And so if you're bored, just stick with me here. When it says you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia wood covered in gold, that's Exodus 26, 32. I'm telling you, this is a picture of Christ hanging on the tree. His arms and legs are the four pillars of acacia wood. Here's his arms. Here's his legs. How can I say that? That's how can you say these things, Caleb? Well, the word acacia comes from the, the Hebrew word shotet, and it literally means a scourging or a whipping. It's wood that's been whipped. It's wood that's been pierced, scourged. In Joshua 23, verse 13, it uses the same word for acacia wood as a whip. Uses it as a whip. You shall use a whip. Come on. I'm just trying to get you, welcome you into the mysteries of this thing. So there's four places covered in gold that are called the pierced, whipped branches. Yeah, let me just say a mystery right here. I was going to save it for the end. Jesus is the tree of life. I am the vine, you are the. He is the tree of life. If you do a, like an x-ray of your body, your inner energy, raise your arms, you look like a tree on the inside with your ribs and your spine, your roots. Thank you. I'm glad. Jesus is the tree of life. He's the veil and the tree of life. Mm. Come on, it's good. And it's covered in gold, and I love this stuff because it's just, I'm just a dweeb when it comes to looking up words. God, you know, uses this word, a, a pierced wood covered in gold. Come on. Gold is always a picture of kingship, by the way, in Scripture. And this word actually means to shimmer gold. It means something gold-colored, or as it can literally mean oil, like oily. It should be covered in the oily stuff that shimmers gold. Are you getting the picture? It can also mean a clear sky or fair weather. Isn't that interesting? Why am I bringing that up? Because he, earlier in Hebrews 10, 19, it says, He welcomes us to come into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm, in the sky realm, in the fair weather realm. Covered in the fair weather one. Come on, don't you love a nice day? Who, who loves a nice day? You don't, everybody loves a nice day. I had some really nice days in Dominican Republic, San Juan, Puerto Rico, and the Grand Turks. I, I had some nice days last week, all right? <laughs> in fact, I wrote this in San Juan in a little, you know, St. John in the rich port of Puerto Rico. Ooh, I'm spilling stuff up here. So is the Lord. Psalm of Solomon 5.14 says, of the bridegroom king, it says, his arms are rods of gold. 
in the description of the bridegroom king, the one that comes to rescue and save, the Shulamite bride, his arms are rods of gold? Hello? Oh, Jesus. And the word for rod, get, are you sitting down? Okay, everyone's sitting down. Good. The word for rod literally means to roll away a reproach or to roll away a stone. It's the same word for galal. When today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, Jesus said, or God said to the Israelites, his arms are rods of gold. Even in his crucifixion, even in his death, he's prophesying three days later, I'm going to roll the reproach away. I'm going to roll the stone away. This is years before Jesus came. Hundreds of years. Are you following me? Is this amazing? Yes, I think so. The last thing there is that it's built on four bases of silver. You might not be able to see it, but these little, the bottom parts are not gold. These are silver. Okay? Four bases of silver. And I looked up the word silver because, you know, silver is actually always a biblical picture of redemption. It's built on redemption. The veil is based in redemption. The thing that separated the people is based in redemption. You thought God was trying to keep you away from something good. But God separated you for your redemption. Young kids, young people, middle school, high school, young age people, listen to me. If God says don't do it, it's a separation for redemption purposes. He's protecting you. I have compromised on godly conviction. You know what it gave me? Pain. Lots of pain. Don't do that. See the one who has hung on a tree for us, based in redemption. Let anything God says, don't do that, become a veil for you. Amen? Amen. So this word silver here is actually kasaf, and the, the this is going to, maybe it'll just blow me away again. I don't know. It blew me away. I hope it blows you away. It's literally the word for, Hebrew word for a longing, to long for something. The base of the veil is a longing. God built a veil, a separating thing, on a longing. What? A longing for what? It's the same word that's used in Psalm 84 when it says, David says, my soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Oh, somebody's, somebody's really going to get this. Somebody's, I can feel the spirit of revelation in this room right now. David longed for the courts of the Lord, and so did the son of David. What was behind the veil? The presence of God, the tree of life, kept in a box. And from its inception, the son of David was longing for the courts. When that veil was torn, the spirit of God was poured out without measure onto the earth. You understand? Listen to me. If the temple's ever rebuilt, God won't be in it. Don't give your money to it. If they find the ark, God won't be in it. I found the ark. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking. God is not living in a house made with human hands any longer. He is open with his flesh. The new and fresh life-giving way, access to God. And not only do we get to go in, he got to get out. 
This moment, this moment in the crucifixion, this moment of Jesus being torn open for us was not just a you being invited in. It was a God being let out of the box. Come on. You need to let the Holy Ghost go. I love what Randy Clark says. He says, the Holy Spirit is locked up in unbelieving believers. The Holy Ghost, this is not my statement. Don't blame me for this offense that it gives you. Come on, the cross is an offense. If your preaching doesn't offend somebody, you're doing it wrong. All right, so Randy Clark says it this way. I just want to give him credit because it's genius. He says, the Holy Spirit is often locked up in unbelieving believers. There's more believing unbelievers than there are believing believers. There's a whole bunch of people who believe in the supernatural realm, in a God or something, a spirit or something, all over the earth. When Paul says, according to spiritual things, I don't want you to be unaware, well, we kind of are. We freak out. People start medium, being a medium and channeling energy and things like that. We freak out. All that is, I said at the beginning, is a perversion of the pure version. The devil can't create. Only thing the devil can do is pervert. So instead of getting mad at some unbeliever for doing something perverted, ask God, what is the pure version that I'm not even living up to that I'm upset with them for using? Listen, you go to some of these, some of these new age conventions, they will read your mail. They will prophesy better than most Christians. It's the, it, they're channeling demons, no doubt. It's not good. I'm not championing it. I'm saying some people are better at this than we are. <laughs> Jesus became the only legal access point to the supernatural realm. And if you're bored with your Christianity, it's because you're not walking through the veil of his flesh. It's because you haven't entered in to the heavenly realms in Christ that he ripped open and made available to you. Come on. He has opened himself. His veil was torn open. Christ is our veil. Ripped open so that the spirit of God could be poured out and so that you and I could be called in. Come on. The way into the kingdom is narrow. But once you get in, it's really big. The door is singular. One door but a whole lot of space once you get on the other side. So be careful. You say, that's not God. That's not God. That's not God. How do you know? Have you explored all of heaven yet? Have you seen all of the kingdom yet that's ever advancing, ever increasing? You know for sure? Listen, if it's in the name of Jesus, if it's through the door of Jesus, it's legal. If it gives glory to Jesus, it's legal. Oh, this... You can't talk to church people this way. It's, it's dangerous. This is the reality of the longing of God. I need you to get this. I only have a few minutes left. But I need you to get that God had a longing, had a desire. David said, my flesh, my body, my soul, it faints. It faints. It longs for the courts of the Lord. How much more? A man consumed with God said that. How much more? The whole fullness of God is consumed with the courts, consumed with coming out of the box, consumed. you gotta, you, you got to apply this to your life. It, God is consumed with getting out of you and into your workplace. The longing of God is to break out of you and into your family. Not through teaching or telling them they're wrong. It's through love. It's through joy. It's through peace. 
How do you have peace in the middle of that? Jesus Christ is in me. There's someone on the inside of me that's way bigger than the outside of me. Listen, Christ in you is the hope of glory. It's the only hope of glory this world's got. Christ in the second coming is not the hope of glory. Christ in your rapture is not the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And God is inside of every person here who said yes to him, longing to break out into the courts of your life. How does that, how does that happen? Just when you don't feel like loving someone, do it anyway. Let your brokenness become a pathway for his spirit. It just, it's a death to me to be patient right now. Good. Let your body break open. Let him pour out your pores. The burning ones are coming. Daniel 12, 3. The shining ones are coming. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I have three minutes. Yeah. It's good. I wouldn't say I'm worried. I don't know what I am. I've been given a mandate. It's good. Here's the deal. Let me just break the back of a lie that is in the church. There is no verse in the Bible that says heaven looked away when Jesus died. Not a single one. Find it for me. Come back. And please, I will come up here and say, this person proved me wrong. Here it is. This is a challenge. Throw, I'm throwing the gauntlet down. Find it. There's actually verses that say he wouldn't look away. And people say from Habakkuk 1.13, God can't look upon sin. Well, how did he see you in your sin? Your interpretation of that scripture is wrong. Can you be wrong? I've been wrong. I've been wrong today. I've been wrong a lot of times. Can you be wrong? Anybody? Raise your hand if you can be wrong. Okay, 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 good. I'm glad. It says, your eyes are purer than to behold evil. And can I look on iniquity? That's what Habakkuk 1.13 means. But he searches the innermost places of every heart, even the wicked and wayward heart. So that verse does not mean he can't see it. It means he can't see it and delight in it. His eyes are too pure to look upon evil, meaning he can't like go, that's good when he sees it. He says, that's bad for you. That hurts you. I put a separation place for your redemption on that. Psalms 193, or I'm sorry, 139 in multiple places says, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and my acquainted with all my ways. Have any of your ways been sinful? <laughs> He's acquainted with all of them. So he can't look upon sin. He can't look upon sin with delight. And in Psalms 22, it actually is, Psalms 22 has 33 prophetic utterances of Christ on the cross. 33 things were fulfilled from this one psalm with Christ on the cross. He spoke the beginning and the end of it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not because God actually forsook him. God was on the tree, people. You need to step into some mystery. The problem is the Western church hates mystery. If we don't understand it, we can't control it, we hate it. If it doesn't fit in our heads, we can't reproduce it. We hate it. <laughs> but we lean not on our own understanding. Except for Sundays in America. Psalms twenty-two, twenty-four 24 says, 
in the Passion Translation, in, in the middle of this prophetic thing, he speaks the front of it and the end of it. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To, to communicate that he's feeling the same forsakenness. If you felt forsaken, God knows what that feels like. That's what he's saying. He felt it. He experienced it. He's acquainted with every way of suffering. He's known everything except without sin, Hebrews says. So he has a high priest who can relate to us because he knows all of our struggles, all of them, all of them, all of them. Say all. All of them. That means when you feel like God left you, he knows what that means, even though he is God. That's a mystery that I can't explain to you. Get over it. Get over yourself. If you can't explain it, so what? Do you know that, pro man, yep, Paul prayed in Ephesians that people would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. The word know the love of God is gnosko, uh, and it literally means to have an intimate encounter with. It's the word Mary said, I have not gnosko to man, how can I have a child? Paul said, I pray that you gnosko the love of God that surpasses your ability to apply it to any doctrine. There are people who had encounters in this room that you will never be able to explain, and that's okay. Stop trying to make it plain. Maybe it's a mystery that doesn't, isn't allowed to be uttered on a human tongue. Okay. Psalms 22, 24 says in the Passion Translation, he's my first responder to my sufferings, and he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. This is Psalms 22. He spoke the beginning and the end of it. And right in the middle it says he didn't look the other way. Stop it. I love this song. I love, the, I love it. I love the person who says it. But he did not look the other way. The Psalms prove he didn't look the other way. Uh, if you're upset with the Passion Translation, here's the ESV. It says, he has not hidden his face from him who was despised. He has not hidden his face. He did not hide his face. New King James Version, nor has he hidden his face from him. And just for good measure, just to kick every religious demon out of the room, the message paraphrasement says, he has never let you down, never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He's been right there listening. He was right there listening to every cry of Jesus. He was fully attentive. He was on the cross for crying out loud. Fully aware, feeling everything. Go ahead and explain to me how you separate the Trinity, and then I'll believe you that he looked away. Split them in half, why don't you? All right. I have to read something to you, and I'm going to go as fast as I can. I'm trying not to read, preach, but I want to read the context of the verse I read at the beginning. This is Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read 1 through 20, and I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation just because I like it. All right. <sighs> Listen to this. Really, hear this. Um, yeah, we don't have it on the screens. I'm just going to read the whole chat, well, 1 through 20, so you can take that down. Yeah, here it is. The old system of living under the law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there was still nothing that could make our hearts perfect before God. For if animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshipers would have clean consciences. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins with their hearts still impure. That's the problem with communion. People are reminded of their sin instead of remembering the son. Because they think they have to sacrifice something. No, it's the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Don't you dare elevate your whatever above his sacrifice. Yeah. 
Verse 4, for what power does the guilt, the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? So when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said, since your God, your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body, and I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. The justice of God is I'll take your place for all that crap you're doing. Be careful. So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and do your will, to fulfill all that is written of me in your word. First, he said, multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice, even though the law required them to be offered. Are you hearing this? Yes? One of you? Okay. Then he said, God, I will be the one to go and do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolishes animal sacrifices and replaces that entire system with the new covenant. Okay? Come on, we need the public reading of Scripture again. I know you're not used to this. We need this. Oh, Lord Jesus. By God's will, verse 10, we have been purified. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. That's straight finish like a shot. I'm telling you right there. Verse 11, yet every day... Priests still serve because this was written while the temple was still up. Priests still serve ritually offering the same sacrifices over and over again. Sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. But when this priest had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin, for all time, he sat down on a throne at the right hand of God, waiting until all his whispering enemies are subdued and turned into his footstool. That's your job and my job. You put the enemy under his feet. That's your job. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. What? That is a radical statement. I don't have time to explain it. The Holy Spirit confirms this to us by this scripture. For the Lord says, afterwards, I will give them this covenant. I will embed my laws into their hearts and fasten my word to their thoughts. And he says, I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. If your eschatology includes a moment where you get played the YouTube of all your sins, you got it wrong. Because you're calling God a liar. I will not ever again remember their sins and lawless deeds. Including in the second coming. Including that day. Oh, Lord. Just tick off all the boxes here. So if our sins have been forgiven and forgotten, why would we ever need to offer another sacrifice for sin? That includes you dying daily. You don't get to offer a sacrifice for your sin. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. He welcomes us into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm. Only and without hesitation, for he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God. For just as the veil was torn in two, Jesus' body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him. Amen? Amen. I need you to stand. We're going to take communion now. And I need you to understand that this is a prophetic act, a prophetic act of the body of Christ. And when you break it, you need to pick up a piece and you need to break it. Not just in your mouth. You need to watch it break like I just did. Break it. And understand, that's going to send you into a heavenly encounter if you let it. No more ritualistic dipping and ripping. Let's discern the body of the Lord. Some of you are going to get healed by taking communion today. Like, 
12-year heart condition, if someone has that. A 12-year condition, things like that are going to get healed. They're going to get healed because you can discern the body that was ripped open to enter into the most holy place and for the most holy one to break out into you and into us all around us. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to do what we did last week. Okay, you're going to come up, and one by one, I want you to take your time, but don't, don't stand in front of the table for me, you know. Let, let some other people come. Just take it and find a spot, maybe your chair, whatever. We're going to play some soft music. This is how we're going to close, okay? And I need the restoration team, the prayer team to come take first, but don't hesitate. That's their job. They'll get ahead of you. Don't worry. They'll run. And they're going to be over here on the wall. So if out of your encounter with the Lord, you realize you need to forgive someone or do something or you need someone to agree with you in prayer, they're over there. If you have never said yes to Jesus, I encourage you to go to them first and then come take communion. But if all who have said yes to Jesus are welcome to come here. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to do any of that garbage. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're following Jesus, if you are saying, yeah, Jesus is, is God, you're allowed to take partake today. So we're going to play some music. This is how we're ending, all right? And you go into your encounter. Be lifted into heavenly places with this. Lord Jesus, we bless this bread and this grape juice. And we say, thank you, Lord, for your body broken for us. Thank you, Lord, for your blood poured out for us. We don't take it lightly. <laughs> that you are our veil torn in two for us. We say yes and amen. We say thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, come and take. Thank you for listening to the Resting Places Sermon Podcast. For more discipleship and worship resources, please check out our website, theRestingPlaceTampa.com. Tampa.com.